This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by Fabuplus Magazine, the world's only body positive health, fitness, and lifestyle magazine with weight neutral content dedicated to the everyday woman. Fabuplus Magazine celebrates women and fosters a sense of belonging with content that relates to women of every size. I love this magazine because it is so refreshing to see a magazine with body diversity. And you can get 40% off your subscription by going to summerinandin.com forward slash Fabuplus and entering code SUMMER40, that's S-U-M-M-E-R-4-0, at checkout. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 107, and I am interviewing Megan Jane Crabb, otherwise known as Body Posse Panda, author of Body Positive Power. We talk about Megan's recovery from an eating disorder and diet culture, how anger can be a useful catalyst to recovery, and why body positivity is not glorifying obesity. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this podcast at summerinandin.com forward slash 107. Before we begin, I have three really quick announcements. First, if you haven't already done so, I would greatly appreciate it if you subscribed to this show. Go to your Apple podcast app or whatever thing you use and click subscribe. Second, it would be amazing if you left a review for this show like this one from Mandelvich. Finally, self-acceptance that works. This is an amazing podcast. Summer's interviews and personal journey are such a model for me on the path that makes the most sense. It's the only way out of disordered eating and body issues. Leaving a review helps others to find this show and the information you are learning here, and we can create a revolution to end diet culture when you leave a review. That is the truth. Go to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, click ratings and reviews, and click to leave a review or give it a rating. Lastly, don't forget to get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Megan Jane Crabb, aka Body Puzzy Panda, the rainbow-haired creator of Body Puzzy Panda. She is an anorexia survivor, anti-diet enthusiast, and believer in fat acceptance and intersectional body positivity. She started an Instagram account in 2014 to chronicle her own recovery and body acceptance journey, which has grown into a space where over 800,000 others have come to find support on theirs as well. Her best-selling debut book, Body Positive Power, is an exploration of the ways we've been taught to hate our bodies, a middle finger to the diet industry, and an uplifting call to arms for anyone who's ever struggled to accept their body. When Megan isn't promoting body positivity, she can be probably found in her PJs, talking to her dogs, or eating cheese. Sounds like my kind of person. You are going to love this interview. We cover so much stuff. Enjoy. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Summer. Thank you so much for being here. I know we've had some major technical difficulties. This has actually taken us 30 <laughs> minutes to start this recording, so I'm really crossing my fingers that this one works. God. 
Yeah, the internet's fun sometimes, but it's so nice to actually hear your voice. I knew you were from the UK, so I wasn't shocked at the accent. Like I know you <laughs> say some people are, but uh, it's just so funny because I've been following you for years and, you know, we've messaged back and forth or commented on each other's posts, but we've never actually communicated voice to voice. So this is such a cool opportunity. I know, and it's been so long, and I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan of your work and your book, and I'm just, I'm just really pleased to be here. Oh, thank you so much. That means the world, and I love your book. I was saying, I got it in time to read it before we did this interview, so I'm super pumped about that because it's amazing. And I was, as I was saying before we started recording, you clearly put so much work into it in terms of the research that you did and the time that you spent crafting the the flow and each chapter and all the the motivation and I guess cheerleading is what I would like to say like it's just so positive and enthusiastic to other people in terms of helping them to really realize that there is a whole big life waiting for them outside of diet culture thank you yeah that's a, that's kind of a balance that I really wanted to strike because I wanted it to feel like I was sitting next to the person reading it and kind of talking them through it and cheering them on. But I also wanted it to be kind of a take no shit expose at the same time. So that was kind of a difficult balance to, to keep. Well, you nailed it. You did a great job. Oh, so thank you. well done. I love it. I think it's fantastic. So I'd love I'd love you to tell everyone a little bit about about your story and how you got to where you are and how you became Body Posse Panda. Oh gosh. Okay. So my, my general story is that I hated my body for as long as I could remember. It was like the first day of primary school that I got there and I looked around and I suddenly realized I don't look like these other girls. They're so much prettier than me. And key point, they're smaller than me. And it didn't take very long after that for me to kind of make the connection that there are these things called diets. And if you go on a diet, your body will get smaller. And I got hooked pretty quick and they kind of got more and more restrictive and more and more intense. And by the time I was 10, I was full blown dieting and that spiraled into anorexia nervosa when I was 14 years old. It took me two years to kind of claw my way out of anorexia and went right back into a world where I once again was, was bigger than most of my friends and the world was still obsessed with dieting and the world was still obsessed with calories. And I still believed that thinness was the key to my happiness. You know, that hadn't gone away. I don't know how that thought hadn't been banished from going through my eating disorder, but it was still there. I still believed it. So then came more dieting, more restrictive again and again until it got to the summer of 2014. And basically every single summer, I would go on the, the be all and end all of restrictive diets because I would go on holiday at the end of the summer. It would be the bikini body diet, right? Mm -hmm. So I was doing that usual thing and I had hit my goal weight. And I, I always believed this weight, this is going to make me happy, right? This is the thing that is going to solve every single problem in my life, as we do believe. And there I was at this goal weight, still hating everything about my body and still being able to pick out 50 things that I would want to change. And a little spark kind of went off in my head of, holy shit, maybe this is never going to be enough. And at the same time, I stumbled across the body positive community on Instagram, which at the time was very small. And it was just a handful of people talking about loving their bodies and rejecting diet culture. 
and it just was a massive wake up call. It turned my entire life around, really. And that's that's how Body Posse Panda was born. Yeah, so I I think it's so cool because in, in your book you talk about how you were searching for almost um, like thinspiration or fitspo, and you actually mm-hmm. ended up stumbling across the body positive world. So I love how social media was such a huge catalyst in your in your recovery and working your way out, and now how you also use that to inspire others because you have you have a massive massive following so what's what's it been like for you to kind of go from observer to being the inspiration it's been a very bizarre process it's almost like when I started my account it was me exploring and me learning and really it was me kind of healing myself and then it got to a certain point where the numbers kept increasing and it became kind of like my account was more for other people than it was for me, which was quite a transition. But I think I was at the point where I was ready to say, okay, I am healed enough for this. Um, If I hadn't been, it would be a completely different story. Uh, And now it's just, it's, it's fucking incredible. I mean, it just kind of gives my entire life meaning. And it feels like what I went through, what I had to go through, that has an underlying purpose now that has brought good into the world. So that that feels really good. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was it like for you to work your way out of like from that say summer of 2014 when you discovered body positivity to where you are now? Like what what did you find were the things that really helped you the most through that transition? Honestly, the the biggest game changer for me was always books. Online was great. And that was where I first kind of came into it and learned about this concept, body positivity. But it was the books that really did it for me. Books like The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf and Losing It by Laura Fraser, Health Every Size by Linda Bacon. The really, the factual stuff. I think that was the biggest wake up call when I kind of realized that all of these feelings about my body and about food, they weren't things that I'd made up in my head, right? They were things that had been done to me and there was this whole industry and there were all these facts and all these figures. That was unignorable. I couldn't I couldn't carry on as I was knowing that actually it's a fact that these things are going on and they are impacting how we feel about ourselves. That was the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you, you mentioned, you, you know, you learning and doing a lot of research and you, you did so much for the book. Like that is evidently clear. You researched a lot, <laughs> a lot in terms of the history of, of diet culture, the history of beauty standards. And I'm curious to know what you took away from doing all of that research and really looking at the evolution of the ideal body or what you really want other people to know. Well, first of all, <laughs> can I just say when I signed up to do the book, when I said, yes, I will write a book, I literally asked my editor whether there was someone else who would do the research for me because I was so clueless. And I was like, oh, my God, where do I start? That is not the case. No one else does the research for you. You have to do it yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so the probably the biggest lesson that I took away from it is that we should all be really fucking angry. Um, I've always believed that anger is a very useful emotion, particularly when it comes to banishing body image demons and and fighting back against diet culture. But really reading it all, I just, I was so angry because it's as if, it's, it's a setup, like it's a perfect setup. One thing that I wrote in the book that really, really rings true to me is that if we had to conjure up the the perfect world it, that creates the most eating disorders, like the world that 
makes people hate their bodies the most, this would be it. Like everything about this culture that we live in is set up to make us hate ourselves and then to make us feel like it's our fault. And particularly with um, ideal body standards, you know, we think that they're these immutable, can't argue with it truths. And they're just fashion. They're just ever changing, dictated on a whim. It's it's not the truth. It's not immutable truth. It's it changes all the time. And the fact that we kind of pin our entire lives on them and, you know, the biggest industries in the world want us to pin our entire lives on them. That just makes me really fucking angry. And I just like, I want everyone to be angry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so a bit of a spoiler alert in one of the final chapters, or perhaps it is the final chapter where it titled What Now, where you give, you know, some concrete steps as to what, what to do with all of this information. I love that your first step is, is, is get mad because that really surprised me. I was like, whoa, that's the first step. I was like, that's really, <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. So I, I would love for you to talk about how you, you know, how you processed that anger or how you want other people to, to process that anger, because anger's great, but we don't, we also just don't want to be angry all the time. So I'm curious to know what your, you know, like what helped you to process that anger? How do you see anger being really useful in this circumstance? I think that anger was the only thing both in my eating disorder recovery and in my diet culture recovery, let's call it, Anger was the only thing that gave me enough power to kind of shout back and to fight against, you know, that internal voice and also all the forces around me that were telling me that my body was wrong and I need to diet, etc. Anger allowed me to fight, basically. And it does take a lot of fighting. It takes a shit ton of fighting to undo a lifetime of negative conditioning and a world where day to day you're bombarded with a thousand different diet culture messages wherever you go. That takes us so much to kind of stand up against and say, no, I am not believing this. I am not living like this. So that was what anger allowed me to do. And, you know, I am, I am still angry about it. I am still angry that we do still live in a world that does this to us knowingly for profits But I think it's a much more useful anger now. It can actually be directly channeled where I need it to go. But, you know, and our culture as well, our culture has a thing, particularly with women telling them that, you know, anger is unattractive. We're not allowed to experience a full range of human emotion because we have to be kind of demure and quiet and, and shy. And I just I just think, fuck that. I think tap into all of your emotions, whatever emotions help you to overcome and to heal. And for me, it was anger. Yeah. And I always say to people that anger, we were redirecting it on ourselves before. So when we were participating in the culture, that anger was going directly towards our bodies. You know, we were angry at our bodies. We were always at war with our bodies. And so to realize that our body isn't the problem and our culture is the problem and then, you know, redirect that elsewhere, it's quite cathartic to to take it off of yourself and redirect it towards the culture. But what I feel you've done really effectively is that you take that anger and it turns into passion and inspiration for other people. So like there's so much juice in your words and you can tell that that comes from that place that of anger, but it's, but you're communicating, you're using that to encourage other people to love themselves and to break free from it. So you've, you've used it very effectively is what I'm trying to say. Is, that's what I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think, 
I think sometimes there's a bit of a misunderstanding, actually, because to take, for example, the anger towards diet culture, sometimes people interpret that as being angry at people who diet, right. um, which which is just not the case at all. Like I'm not I'm not angry at any individual who's just trying to survive the best way they know how, the way that they've been taught to survive in our culture. I'm angry at the system. Like you said, point the anger in the right direction. It's it's the culture. It's not individuals. It is not you. It is not me. It is is bigger than us. And yeah, that's that's the way. Yeah, you, you've taken it and now you fight for justice with it. And I think that that's similar to myself at least that's how i that's how i use that as well because otherwise i would be going mad inside of myself with that anger so you have to expel it and i think to oh, expel God, yeah. it in a way where you then fight for justice and try to help other people and inspire others it's then it becomes this really powerful force but so so exactly that you know hearing you say fight for justice makes me like picture us wearing capes and <laughs> superhero outfits well, it's true. I mean, that's that's what we're doing. We're trying to just pluck people out of this distorted world where they're expending so much time and energy hating themselves in this cycle that never ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned there just and, and that you mentioned in, in, in your book is, you know, can dieting be body positive? I would love for you to, I mean, obviously, you know how I feel about that, too. We are <laughs> on the same page, but I would love I would love for you to communicate it to the people listening. Uh, yeah, sure. So I think the best way to explain this is that body positivity is about more than feeling positive in your body. And, you know, several people would say, well, you know, dieting makes me feel better about myself. Therefore, it is body positive. Um, And that's kind of an oversimplification of what body positivity is, because body positivity is far beyond feeling good in your skin. And it has to part of body positivity has to directly tackle the forces in our world that tell us that we aren't allowed to be happy in our bodies, that our bodies aren't worthy, aren't valuable, you know, that certain bodies are worse than other bodies. So the biggest force in our world, in our culture currently, telling us that our bodies aren't good enough is diet culture. And that obviously comes from the diet industry. That comes from people realizing we can make a shit ton of money from making people think their bodies are wrong. And, you know, when I first came into the body positive community, it was the only place that I had ever found in my entire life, where people were saying, we don't talk about weight loss here, we don't talk about calories. It's just, it's just not welcome. This is a kind of a safe space. And I think still, it is still one of the only spaces online or in real life that you can go to, and you can know that and you can be safe in that. So that was the only thing that really allowed me to heal. Because when diet culture has done so much damage to you, You can't heal from it if you're still being bombarded with it at all sides. You need a safe space. So when people do try and bring diet culture into body positivity and say, why can't I be body positive and diet? It's like you are hurting people. If you if you bring that in, all you're going to do is hurt people who need to be free from it. And, you know, there are a thousand and one different places that you can go on the Internet and be celebrated for your weight loss. Like every other place on the internet will celebrate your weight loss with you. Why can't you just let us have this one? Like just let us have one space that's away from it. So that's that's how I feel really. I just, yes. <laughs> I, I kind of, yeah, have no, have no time for it. Yes, I know. And I, I got goosebumps when you were saying like, we just want that one place. And it's so true because you always see people 
are trying to argue it and trying to justify it. And people are entitled to do whatever they want with their bodies. But like you said, it's like, we just need that one place. And we need a place where, you know, we're, we're not trying to remove the existence of fat bodies like that completely mm-hmm. defeats the purpose of the whole point of body positivity, which is that all bodies deserve respect and space mm-hmm. in this world. Exactly that. Oh, tell them, Summer. <laughs> well, you tell them. You, t- you, t- you definitely tell them. <laughs> I hope they read your book. Um, <laughs> so I one of the quotes that I loved, like really loved in, in your book is, female hunger is not simply about food. It's about power and liberation and wholeness. When we refuse to be ashamed of our appetites, we send the message that we are whole beings with needs that deserve to be fulfilled. We let the world know loud and clear that we will not spend our lives starving and shrinking instead of flourishing and living. I love that quote so much. That was so good. Um, (laughs) So I would love you to talk about how you overcame shame around eating and food and what your advice to other people is. Well, something that I researched while I was doing the book that I found really, really interesting is the history of female hunger. And I wrote a little bit about it, but it's basically women have always been told to be ashamed of their appetites, really, and not just in terms of hunger, but their sexual appetites as well, because we're not supposed to basically we're not supposed to have needs. We're not supposed to show that we are fully functioning human beings with needs. We're not supposed to be loud or unapologetic and the fact that we should be ashamed of our appetites just feeds into that. So it's basically some sexist bullshit that we should be ashamed of eating and feeling hungry and having appetites. So how did I, was that a question? How did I overcome that? Yeah. How did you overcome that? Because obviously like you have a long history with really being deep into an eating disorder and to, and, and, and dieting, like so, so many diets over your, over your lifetime, which you're still young, but it was over, you know, a good portion (laughs) of your lifetime. Um, So yeah, I would love to know how you, how you overcame that shame around like eating and portions and all that stuff that we're told to feel really ashamed of. Well, Intuitive eating for me was the key and just relearning how to trust my body and not having to be ashamed of eating in public or eating more than I think that I should have eaten or, you know, just letting go of all rules. And I really, I really did have to have a period of time where, you know, before the intuitive eating really kicked in, where I just needed to let go, let go of the dieting rules, let go of anything in my head telling me how I should eat or when or what. And just kind of, I feel like, I feel like you will know what I mean, Summer, like the, the, <laughs> the letting go phase. I don't know what to call it. That isn't like an offensive way of, of saying it. Like the gluttony phase? Yeah, or yeah, a rebellious or just, yeah. I don't know, or like you're, fine, you're, you're a kid again, rediscovering food for the first time, I think is, is a way of, yeah. of kind of looking at it too. Exactly that. So just, yeah, pure, just no rules, just no rules whatsoever. And a lot of people, I think, kind of get stuck in in feeling scared that that is going to be their be all and end all and that they will have lost control completely over food and they'll, you know, just gain a lot of weight. And that's, that's really scary to them. But that for me was a completely necessary part. And I think for a lot of people just letting go and how, I don't really know how to say how that came about other than 
I just couldn't do it anymore how I was doing it I just couldn't restrict and and ignore my hunger and starve for the rest of my life and I knew that this was the only different way to to live and to eat and to be so I just let go really yeah and it's so much more enjoyable now right like it's isn't it amazing to just be able to eat it's such a great oh thing oh my god <laughs> I tell you what, that like the novelty when you first stop dieting and you're like, what? I can eat what I want. What is this? Um, yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, now it's kind of like it's not really a novelty anymore, but I do still catch myself. Like just the other week I was out and about um, and I got this enormous pretzel, enormous pretzel. And it was freaking amazing. And I got a little kind of just a little flash in my brain of oh, four years ago, I would never have eaten an enormous pretzel out in public by myself wow, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic. And I think we we have to be role models to other people to, to show like, yeah, you eat like a grown ass woman like this is what <laughs> this is. We're humans, you know, like, <laughs> it's not yeah, just exactly that. it's not just men who get to eat that way. <laughs> I know. Like, and I think also like for anyone who is struggling to eat in public, even if you know, you can't really get over that fear. What I did at first was I was really, really, really scared, but I got the food and I thought to myself, you know what, if another woman or another girl sees me eating in public and maybe feels a bit better about herself eating in public and maybe that she can do it as well, then that's that's worth it. That's worth the fear. So I just did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I use that principle in so many different areas of my life. And I'm sure kind of hearing you say that around food that you do too, thinking, okay, like, if I can't really do this for myself, or this is if this is really scary for myself, I'm going to do it for other people. And that will that will sort of be the catalyst to overcoming that fear. This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by Superfit Hero. I am so excited to partner with Superfit Hero. When I asked you, my dear audience, which brands to reach out to, many of you mentioned them. Superfit Hero makes the best leggings on the planet. They were designed after four months of fit testing with athletes of different body sizes. Superfits don't slip, fall, roll, or pinch. They are squat proof, sweat proof, and have great big pockets. Best of all, they are size inclusive and they feature diverse models and body types on their website. So you can see how their stuff will fit on your actual body. I love their website. Superfit Hero, designed for confidence, made with love in Los Angeles. Go to superfithero.com and save 15% off your first order by entering the code SUMMER, that's S-U-M-M-E-R, at checkout. So uh, one of the things you mentioned throughout is the relationship that you had with your tummy and just the way that you felt about your tummy. Like that was always kind of your 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 shame spot, we'll call it. Yeah, which I think resonates with so many people. So I'm curious to know what helped you to make peace with that? I honestly, I can't remember where I got the idea that the only acceptable way to have a stomach was to have one that was washboard flat. But it was so firmly ingrained in me from such a young age, that I had no tolerance whatsoever for even the slightest bump on my stomach. And no matter how much weight I lost, that was still there. You know, I never had a flat stomach. I, I remember standing in the hospital when I'd been hospitalized for anorexia and still believing that my stomach wasn't flat enough because I am just not built to have a flat stomach. And that kind of realization of maybe everyone isn't built to look exactly the same 
maybe I'm not supposed to have a flat stomach. That was very liberating. And after I realized that, I there was lots of things that I did. So basically seeing other people who do not have flat stomachs, who, who have visible stomachs, VBOs, all that jazz, embracing their stomachs, that was really, really positive for me. And actually, I kind of came to see it as this really beautiful like softness that some people carry there it's so kind of welcoming and it's like velvety soft it's just gorgeous and that that changed my perspective massively and another thing which I put as like the the number one tip for making peace with your stomach in the book is changing the way that you touch your body and for me my stomach because I used to spend hours and hours like pulling at my flesh and poking myself in the mirror and trying to tuck and fold and bend in ways that I could think that it wasn't there anymore and look in the mirror and think that I had a flat stomach and I was that's that's abusing your body if you're tugging and pulling at yourself as if it's not even attached to your being you know that's part of you that's not a disposable detachable part so stopping doing that and actually spending some time touching myself with kindness and stroking my stomach and this is something that I do so commonly now that I sometimes catch myself doing it in public like if I've if I've gone out and I've had a big meal and then I will realize that I'm sat on the tube stroking my own stomach <laughs> but it's fine because <laughs> People probably just think I'm pregnant. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's become a really easy part of my routine that helps me stay kind of in that in that loving space with my stomach. Yeah, I I, that's, I really love that recommendation. I, I use that a lot with with clients because it helps them just get more in tune with how it feels instead of how it looks, because I think that that's an easier step to take than getting more comfortable, you know, seeing it, whether it's in the mirror or in pictures, which I think takes a little bit more practice to get to. So I love I loved that you included that step. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And and also what you just said about seeing it in the mirror. That's another thing. The body checking thing. I used to spend, well, every single time I passed the mirror, I would pull up my top to check how flat my stomach looked in that moment. And stopping doing that, like, because it's just it's so unnecessary and it's so cruel. It's basically how much am I going to hate myself in this moment when I look in the mirror? So yeah, cut that out as well. Yeah, yes, absolutely. It's It It kind of is like the scale. It becomes another way to sort of measure yourself, which mm-hmm. is, is really just holding you back. And so I yeah. always, yeah, get rid of that for sure. Oh, what I about saw, you? Yeah, what about me? And tr- well, my tummy yeah, was- what's your like top tip? My, my, well, so for tummies, I think- that I really love the the touching thing. And I'll, I'll often just have people when I'm doing sessions with clients, if that's a real sensitive area for them, I'll have them kind of close their eyes and just relax and then put their hand on it and feel whatever comes up. So sometimes it's sadness, sometimes it's shame, sometimes it, but surprisingly more often than not, it, it's almost like a nurturing and compassionate response that they have because it's the first time they've really connected to it as part of them instead of, living inside their head with all the thoughts that they have about it, which are not really their own thoughts, right? Those those are the learned thoughts that we've had. So to kind of like really turn the volume down on those thoughts and just feel it and let whatever comes up, come up and, and make space for whatever those feelings are. But like I said, surprisingly, most often it is nurture and compassion. I usually start there with people. So that's why I was really happy to see your first step with that being very parallel, similar to what I do. Because I was like, yeah, it really, it does work and it really helps. And 
I think we're always living up in our heads with our thoughts and we're so disconnected from our bodies and just how they feel. And when we can become more reconnected with that, then it becomes easier to start to change our thoughts. Like we become more loyal to the way we feel than our thoughts, then we our thoughts start to change more readily. Yeah, that's really good. You're really wise. <laughs> if that makes sense to anyone who's like, yeah, that, that can sound a little <laughs> woo-woo, but <laughs> so it happens when you're in the den with me. <laughs> uh, um, okay, let's let's blow up some some myths here. You 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 blow up some really good ones in the book, and one that I I loved the way you approached it. I thought it was brilliant. Was talking about body positivity as glorifying obesity. So <laughs> can you can you provide your answer to that? Because I thought it was so good and so helpful because I think we get challenged on that a lot. Yes, that is 100% like the number one go to criticism of body positivity is that, you know, if people come and they see fat people being happy with themselves, it's going to make the entire world fat, which is so backwards. So when I was writing this this piece of the book, I thought to myself, right, let's actually look up the definition of promoting. What does it mean to promote something? And it said to promote something is to actively encourage or further the progress of something. So if you're promoting obesity, you are actively encouraging others to become fat and you are furthering the progress of obesity around the world. Now, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. I have never in all of my time within the body positive community come across anyone who's saying, hey, everyone, you're not fat enough. You need to put on weight. You need to shift your BMI to obese and then you can be good enough. Then your body will have value. Then you can love yourself. So that's never happened, right? But there have been so many hundreds of people who I've met whose message is about every single body as it is being good enough, being worthy of respect and celebration. So no one body type is being promoted. In fact, there is a body type being promoted in our culture. There is one body type that is promoted as the way to happiness. It is literally sold to people as you need to look like this and then you will be worthy of respect and celebration. But it's not fatness, it's thinness. You know, there's entire industries built on promoting, literally promoting thinness. So yeah, and then I got to thinking what would have to happen in our culture for an actual shift to promoting obesity to happen. And it's just ridiculous. Like, the turnaround, the changes that would have to happen for promoting obesity to be a thing, it's just, it, it's never going to happen. Like it's never going to be the case that every single image of idolized beauty that we see are of fat people. And the diet industry isn't going to collapse and be replaced with a fattening industry where people buy plans to gain weight because, you know, obesity is being promoted to them as the way to be happy it's not, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. And most importantly, promoting obesity, that's just a really, really easy way to shut people down when you don't like what they're saying. Nine times out of 10, if someone comes along and they say, I don't agree with body positivity because it promotes obesity, what that actually translates into is I don't agree with body positivity because I don't like seeing fat bodies. <laughs> Mm hmm. Yeah. And so how do you shut down the trolls? Like, do, are, do you just delete and block? Is that that must take up a lot of your time? It takes up a fair, a fair amount. I kind of I've gone back and forth on this. Sometimes if I have the emotional energy, 
I will reply to them. I will try to strike up a conversation, maybe even get myself into a debate. But nine times out of 10, it becomes clear that they they don't want an open minded debate. They just want to hurl abuse at someone who they don't like and whose body they don't like. And then they want to retreat. So now I do block and delete even at the slightest sign that all they want to do is abuse someone, I will block and delete. And it takes up it takes up a fair amount of time, but nowhere near as much as people in the community with bodies that are bigger than mine have yeah. to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, significant, significant. But I kind of, once you realize that they're just parroting each other, they're just, they're all saying the same shit over and over again. It's like, I'm not going to spend any more of my energy like trying to convince people who do not want a conversation. Right. And if they do, they should just read your book. <laughs> You'd be like, my, the answer's in the book. You should go get oh, it. <laughs> you know, um, Michelle from Scarred Not Scared. Yeah. She started whenever like she gets an, a, an inbox message from a troll and they're like having the health argument with her. Instead of answering them, she just says, hey, go buy this book. It's called Body Positive Power. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for for real. And then let me know if you have questions after that. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I love I loved the way you explained or how you answered the body positivity glorifying obesity myth because you depicted it as this like upside down world where <laughs> ever, you know, where it's like okay well if that were the case then all the models would be in larger bodies as you said like we would be promoting programs for people to gain weight and it's it it shows how ridiculous that statement is and how misunderstood body positivity is to people looking in from the outside who have to do a lot of work around their fat phobic beliefs yeah, exactly. And the whole the whole point is that body positivity will never promote any body type as the one that is more worthy of of respect. That's that's the exact opposite of the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious to know. You write passionately about the damage of the ideal body in your book and the images that we see in the media, the damage on our well-being. And I loved how you mentioned that it becomes part of our core identity, which is why it's so hard to give up. And that's in quotes. You 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 wrote that. So I would love for you to talk about how you gave up that identity. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, so I think this is similar to what happens to a lot of people when they have an eating disorder. So when I was kind of in the depth of my anorexia, I was completely convinced that there was nothing more to me and that all there was about me, all my personality was, was the girl with anorexia and that's it. And it's kind of a similar parallel when we are completely stuck in diet culture and in wanting to achieve the ideal body that we think is going to make us happy. And we think, that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing in my life. That's what I want people to know me for. I want to be known as the one with the ideal body. Or, you know, what was the quote that, that that's in your book that I put in my book? You want to... Uh, oh, oh, oh I, I have faith that you want more to life than a tombstone that says all she ever wanted was a tight ass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. So, um, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> I've lost track of the question again. Was that how I got out of that? <laughs> yeah. How did you, how did you like detach that from your identity? How did you discover who you really are? Okay. So after I, yeah, after I stopped dieting and I found body positivity, it's kind of 
a process of believing that there is more to you and that you have more to give the world than a goal weight or a dress size. And that's a really long process. That's actually a process that I'm still doing because, you know, when you spend so many years being stripped of, of everything that you are, because all you want in life is to lose weight and is to be thin, you completely lose yourself. You lose who you are. And that's a rebuilding process. And it's kind of a similar process to learning how to take up space again, uh, learning how to exist unapologetically, learning how to find your voice again. And that, for me, it just looked like, I guess, tapping into who I was before, who I was before I had an eating disorder. What were my passions? How did I treat people? What was important to me in life? And finding new things that were important to me, because, you know, a lot body positivity for me kind of came in tandem with feminism. So that instantly gave me a new thing in my life to be passionate about and to find my voice within. So that was really, really useful to me. And actually, I I don't really think you can separate the two things. So yeah, finding the things that have nothing to do with your body and that have nothing to do with weight that make you who you are, which could be anything in the world, but it's in there. You know, we've been convinced that it's not, but it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I remember a while ago, you posted something about taking a social media break so you could just be Megan. What are you doing when you're just being Megan? Oh my gosh. Um, when I'm just being Megan, usually I am wearing tracky bottoms. I at, Sorry, what, jog sweatpants? sweatpants. <laughs> yeah, but I, I kind of want to just start using tracky bottoms for the rest of my life because that's like the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I love, I love, I love British dialect. It's so great. <laughs> so cute. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm wearing. And I'm just like, with my dogs, I love walking my dogs in places where there are no other people or reading books in places where there are no other people. <laughs> and, you know, just, I like making art. I like singing. I also like geeking out and playing The Sims for hours and hours at a time. Yeah, I'm I'm working more on building more parts of myself that aren't to do with the diets like they were in years before, but also aren't always to do with Body Posse Panda as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like you, you, it's you you have such a presence online that it must be it must be interesting to like really step away from that to just live life. Because I know when you're, at least for me, when you're so passionate about something, you want to help people, you want to be there for people. And so it's it's hard to like shut that down and then just live your life without thinking about that. Like it's, I find that hard myself. So I don't know if you find that difficult too. Oh God. Yeah. Like I, I have huge amounts of guilt. Even if I go a day without posting, sometimes I, I start to feel guilty. And I think there are people who are waiting for me to, to, to post something. And, you know, there's all these messages that I haven't been able to get back to. And yeah, I really, really struggle to kind of put a lid on it and say, right, this is time for me to log off. Not after replying to one more comment, not after posting one more thing. Like, I'm allowed to take time to rebuild myself. And it's interesting because that's something that I will say over and over again to my followers and to other people, like you're allowed to take time for you. You know, you have to rebuild your emotional energy from these things. But I I, I still struggle to apply that to myself. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. And I think if I can offer you something that helped me, it was we want to build a community and, and we can't be holding up the entire thing ourselves. We have to, like everyone represents a little pillar in this giant you know, tent that we're holding up, so to speak. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, I don't know, at least that helps me. I'm like, I want other people to, 
you know, find stuff for themselves and speak for and help each other. And it doesn't always have to be me. But it's still so hard. And I know you mentioned you're an all or nothing thinker. So that's that mm-hmm. that adds a whole other element, which I can relate to. How do you yeah. how do you how do you work through your all or nothing thinking? Well, I, I've been in therapy now for a year. And I started it initially, kind of with the aim of dissecting my anxiety and my perfectionism and the all or nothing thinking that has gotten me into so much trouble really in the past and that it's just exhausting it's exhausting to live like that and I think after a year I'm like making baby steps into dissecting that and lately I've really been um I've been actively trying to tell myself that no matter how much I do in a day it's enough doesn't matter if I had a massive to-do list and I only ticked off two things. My productivity is actually not linked to my human value in any way. And I think we have we have such an unhealthy relationship in our culture with being super productive all the time and being on the grind and like slaying everything. And it just breaks us. So me actually really, really trying to practice the kindness with myself that I think everyone else deserves. And, you know, sometimes I think, think of the person who I love most in the world, uh, which is very often like my brother. And I think, would I want him to be tearing himself to pieces for not getting all this stuff done that was on his to-do list? No, I would want him to give himself a break. I would want him to be kind to himself. So that's how I have to treat me as well. Um, so that's, yeah, that's something that I'm still really in the midst of learning. Yeah, it's tough. It is. I I, I still have to be really intentional with that myself. So I understand. Well, as we wrap things up here, I do want to know, like, do you just naturally have really good dance moves? Or were you always able to shake your body like that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So I literally, this was like the summer of 2012 or 2011. And it was Shakira, Hips Don't Lie, the video came out. And I remember watching that video and thinking, if I do anything this summer, I need to learn how to do that. So (laughs) I spent the entire summer in front of my mirror, just learning how to move my hips. And and I did. And and it's paid off. And it's literally like, I have four dance moves. I don't know why people haven't realized this. I literally just have like four that I recycle in different like orders. But yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, I could never do that. I would, I, it mine would be just be, it would be hilarious. It would be really funny. It would be really funny. But you're really talented. <laughs> you got moves. <laughs> I think maybe it's like the only part of my Jamaican genes that comes through because I look so pale. Like maybe it just comes through in the dancing and that's it. <laughs> well, those hips don't lie. They got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people find more of you? Uh, come find me on Instagram, which is Body Posy Panda, and it's basically that on all social channels. And you got a YouTube channel now. Yeah, it's a baby one. I just started it a couple of weeks ago, which is Body Posy Panda, and yeah, lots of lots of good stuff coming to that soon. A baby one with six thousand followers already. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> you birthed a big baby. Well done. <laughs> thank, thank you for the perspective there. Yeah. Don't be modest. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This is awesome. And uh, I highly recommend your book to everyone listening. I'm going to link it to the show notes and all the other books that you mentioned. And again, I'm so grateful to you for uh, mentioning my book in the recommended reading and quoting my book. That was like really meant the world to me. That was that I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I was so thrilled. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. It deserved to be in there. Thank you. Well, have an amazing day. Rock on. 
You too. Bye-bye. I hope you love that interview as much as I did. I really enjoyed Megan's book and I added it to my recommended book list, which if you're curious about, you can find at summerinandin.com forward slash body dash positivity dash books. I've got a whole list there of all the books that I recommend to people from feminism to self-help to body image to intuitive eating and all that jazz. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this show at summerinandin.com forward slash 107. Thank you for being here. I will see you, hear you, talk to you next time. Until then, rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.